the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into Hour 3 this Tuesday, January 25th, 2022. And as we always do in Hour 3 on Tuesdays is we are joined by Lewis Holman and Hugh Holman. Lewis is the Managing Director of Insight Analytics, InsightAnalyticsLLC.com. And Hugh Holman is the former mayor of Tempe, an educator, an attorney. And many other things. Cap dancer. Yeah, you're well. You are a fabulous dancer. I have seen you cut many a rug at many a gala, and uh, it's impressive. By the way, did you teach yourself or did you take lessons? Uh, I was taught by a a woman who, uh, one was a a teacher, and the other uh, just a a great school teacher, and the other was a choreographer. Oh yeah, you are good. You are good, man. It was a long time ago. And you dance like your daddy. I, I cannot. I took a little ballroom in college, but no. He can, actually. I've seen him do it. So he's lying. Well, the government is lying in tap dancing. So let's talk about that. We usually start with COVID and then we work outwards from there. Start with COVID, Lewis. Sure. So we are in the midst of what is being described by the corporate press as another spike. And to a degree, you know, this is, as we said last week, uh, uh, factual, but perhaps not truthful. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, what what are we seeing? We're seeing massive spikes in, in, in cases here in Arizona. We're seeing about 20,000-odd cases a day, give or take, for the last couple of weeks. And yet. And yet, uh, we are not seeing the same corresponding increase in the number of severe hospitalizations and deaths. And this really then paints quite a stark contrast to the early stages of the, of the pandemic where, you know, it, it's – trying to contain the harm and maybe get ourselves into a point where we're not logistically overwhelming our hospital system. But at this point, you know, we're not getting record high hospitalizations. Um, The goal of vaccination, which is we all understand from having read the CDC white papers, is to reduce severe health outcomes from COVID, not, in fact, to prevent transmission. Important point. Say that again, Lewis, because Every newspaper article continues to say the opposite. And despot, I will also say. Uh, Emmanuel Macron just said that uh, uh, his goal is to harass uh, uh, the unvaccinated to the bitter end and that those who are uh, not getting vaccinated in France is irresponsible and that those that are irresponsible are no longer citizens, which is a chilling and terrifying call to be singling out segments of one's population for uh, 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 re-education and shall we say, potentially internment via but, quarantine. Yeah, but the, the the important point about all of that is that the drumbeat was vaccinations would stop the spread. And yet they don't. They don't. In fact, it's clear from this most recent round that vaccinations do reduce bad health outcomes for the people who have been vaccinated. But those who are vaccinated still can spread the virus. We've known that mostly in this room all along, I went back 18 months to listen to a podcast of the three of us on this show talking about the fact that 
the trend for a virus, the trend for any kind of, of disease affecting humanity is that it tends to become less lethal because if you kill your host, you don't spread and it becomes more likely to spread. And that's what we've seen in this. We used HIV as the example of that, as the press made fun of uh, Richard Epstein from the University of Chicago for making that point uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, Richard Epstein was a, a is a political scientist and economist. He's been and, on this show a couple times. And yeah, a, 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 legal, yeah. a legal, legal scholar. Really formed a whole school of thought. In Correct. Law. He was part of the law and econ right. school that I attended uh, at the University of Chicago. So here we've got exactly what we were talking about as the prediction uh, with some uh, impact to your reputation, Seth, because you were taken off of Twitter and Facebook and, <laughs> okay. and et cetera. Uh, and I often, helped. Uh, by the way. Yes. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in fact, that's right. So when you're ahead of the curve, the likelihood is you get more easily attacked and shot in the back. That's uh, when you're that far ahead. But in this instance, as Lewis's point was, that it is false to say that vaccines stop the spread. It's reduced bad health outcomes. And for a very short time, if you're early in your vaccination, you likely have some reduced chance of getting the infection to some degree. But it is not the end all and be all. And yet we had the corporate press barking at people for raising the fact that vaccinations weren't the answer to this. It certainly could help slow the spread. But we tried to get an article placed the three of us wrote a year ago that raised the point that anybody who continued to talk about stopping the spread were foolhardy, that the only choice would be slowing it. And that has a bad result, as Lewis would tell you. If you slow the spread, you actually may act, you may enhance the likelihood of variations in the virus that are more difficult to deal with. Right. It, not, not only that, um, the other issue as well, though, is that I'd, I'd like to pick another person to assign blame to a, a, along from just the corporate press because the main arbiters of this degree of censorship are not, in fact, CNN and MSNBC but. as much as they wish they could be, but instead – YouTube and Facebook slash Meta right. and Google right. and and all of these other large tech conglomerates that are actually controlling the the domain through which all of our information flows and is accessed. They are the ones with the keys to this particular kingdom, and they are the ones who at its core are throttling expression. And so when one expresses something that is not in what that corporate media and uh, universal monopoly uh, organizations believe appropriate, and for now they are all wedded to the fairly far-left Democratic Party progressives, you get shut out. And let me give you examples. We just had – For the examples, which are great and I want to do them, I just want to add one more point to this, which is while you're right, a lot of this censorship, most of it did come from the quote-unquote private sector, if you will. There was a lot of government pressure on them and there is still to this day – two weeks ago, Joe Biden gave a speech – to corporate and social media le leaders, and it got no coverage. Here it did, but virtually no coverage, pressuring them to ferret out what he called false news. Yeah, so let's well, give you false news. I'm just going to give yeah. you examples. If um, I may, hold on. Just, just one, one quick thing. One quick thing. <laughs> this hold on. Is so much fun. Now just we're with one Seth, horse Just with Seth. <laughs> so that's, it's true that government put a lot of pressure on the private sector to do it, but 
authoritarianism always rains down from the government yeah, sector, and it is the it is the the necessity and the duty of private individuals and private enterprise to stand fast against that authoritarianism. And in this regard, they failed utterly. Let's give you examples. Just in the last two weeks, reported in the Arizona Republic on January about January twelfth, the following day, reported that there were two hundred and thirteen deaths reported uh, with respect to January 12th, 2022. On January 17th, there were 183 deaths reported. Headline news. First point, guess how many deaths are reported today? Zero. Did you see the headline? I missed it. But more interestingly, that January 17th, 2022, 183 deaths, how many actually now have been attributed to have occurred on January 17th? One. January 12th, 2022, there were 213 deaths reported, and that was the important point. And you, in fact, the show at the time talked about a national news story about the huge number of deaths on that day. The actual number of deaths for January 12th, 2022 from COVID-19 or with COVID potentially was 19. So uh, how does this happen? How does this happen? You have a corporate media that wants to keep beating this drum of fear and surprise for reasons that I think Lewis would like to go into in the next segment. Let's, let's do it. I, I would like to follow up, though, yeah. just on the point that this this issue of the 213 deaths versus one described on the day is an issue that Actually, we've been talking 213 about. 213 and 19 or 183 and one? Excuse me, 213 versus 19 on the day. Yeah. This is an extension of an, of an issue we've been talking about here on the show for quite a while in that whenever Arizona reports a total number of daily deaths, that's all of the death, new death certificates that they have collected on that day for varying days going as far back as to the beginning of the pandemic. It is not the number of people that died that day. But when the CDC and every other national institution is aggregating this data, they are taking the reported deaths as the daily marginal deaths. And that is entirely distorting the way that we analyze and read this pandemic. And then what do you do, Hugh? You wait about a week and go to the state's Department of Health to see what the actual data susses out to be? So recall how intensive, labor intensive this has been oh, for yeah. both Lewis and me. They won't report the data in any spreadsheet or give it to you. You've got to go to the website and then you run your cursor over the entire pandemic wow. and write down the numbers for each day and compare it to the last day's report uh -huh. and the day before and the months before. And Lewis literally did that for seven months to keep a running toll on how bad their data sets were. All these large pieces of paper you were giving That's me. correct. That's right. The 11 by 17 spreadsheets. Yeah. And so we, it just, it's too labor intensive. But the point is, Two weeks later, we can go back and look at the date now that they reported the deaths. We've been writing down the reported deaths, and now we can compare them to the actual deaths for that date, and it is wildly overstated across the board. Let's talk about the why of all this when we come back. I'm Seth Leibson. They're the Hallmans coming to you live from the Guns Etc. studio. 602-508-0960 is our number, and we will be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leapson show. Lou Holman, Lewis Holman, that's music for you, right? A little punk, you kind of, am I getting close? I'm not. I'm, closer, I closer. I, it's going to be asymptotically close for the rest of my life, right? It's never going to quite hit it, right? Pretty much, yeah. You use asymptotically correct. <laughs> Here we are, asymptotically correct. Yeah. That's Lewis, wonderful. you wanted to talk about the why. Sure. As much as the, the, the fact of it all. So why, why are we stuck in this kind of permanent emergency with the corporate press endlessly bleeding for mask mandates, vaccine mandates, and, and other issues. This, and they are still doing it. I mean, we'll talk about a little bit of the turn, but they are still doing it. Well, you also, you also get a, a pretty interesting view if you look internationally, which is sort of one of my hobbies right now, is just to see how this derangement is affecting different societies. Um, and, you know, I, I do say with some relief, you know, we're not the worst, even amongst Western countries. You know, look at Canada, look at Australia. You know, they're losing their minds over this. But, but you know, it, it's certainly Hawaii. that other people do do a worse job of managing this doesn't mean that we should celebrate just because we're not as bad. We have no, still done an pretty badly. There's point I want to come back to on that. Remind me if I yes, forget. The, the extreme position, it's one you make, Lou. So let's right. do hit that. So, yeah, the um, and that point is that these extreme positions exist, make ours more reasonable by comparison, which is another tragedy. But the at least in my thinking, one of the big issues that the that the corporate press has been dealing with, particularly those on the left, um, let's take CNN specifically, sure. is that as of June 2021, its primetime coverage demographics were down approximately 50 percent from where they were a year prior when Trump was in office and and covid hysteria was booming and all of these all of these institutions are suffering from kind of the same issue you know you watch the news fundamentally at least most people do because there's something interesting or important happening and they want to know what it is sure really like right. that's all it is and so it and that was, by them. the way, CNN stock and trade. That's what they always well, bragged about. They well, would say, oh, people may come and go. But when there's an important story, this they go to CNN. Well, I'm going to put and a so it, here. Well, it follows, though, that what you need to do then if you are a, a managing a news company is you want to manufacture the appearance of urgent critical stories. I'm going to stop you right there. So what you've left out is CNN and MSNBC's stock and trade during their prime time was no longer news. Right. It was commentary about what they claimed was the news. And for the last from 16 to 20, it was Donald Trump bashing. And they had something new every day, even if they had to manufacture That's it, a really good point. That kept their left viewers happy. And permanently incensed, permanently engaged, and right. always in the state of hysteria where I need to go watch the news because something important is happening and it's undermining our democracy, right. in air quotes. Yes. Right. Uh, and, and but then – Donald Trump loses and Joe Biden wins, and now they can't be bashing the president. They continued to try to figure out how to follow Trump around. That's why January in, 6th is so much. That's right. correct. That's, the, the that's why theme. that story has been astroturfed, yes. yes. And so ultimately, though, Lewis's point is that about the numbers on what happened to their viewership. Right. So it got cut in half year over year. And so they are desperate to keep COVID, even as we enter an area where – as we demonstrated on the show last week, the actual lethality numbers from the CDC and AZDHS are comparable to a bad flu season. And and, and this is not just us. It's now being stated by thing places like the Wall Street Journal. Now, of course, that's crazy right-wing wacko stuff. Really, but uh, I'm Just joking. the op-ed page, really. Yeah, uh, yeah. So you've got the Wall Street Journal now reporting 
that what Lewis and I have been describing over the last month in this trend, that that is now the fact. Mm -hmm. The other thing that has happened then is that as they have positioned themselves away from reporting the news and towards reporting their opinions on the news, that they then anchor themselves to all of these terrible, terrible takes. So, for instance... Trump's presidency is a failure because 375,000 Americans died under his watch via COVID. Well, the problem is, is that once you've done that article, if your guy has more people die under his watch, then suddenly he's the worst president in history. And so they have, which which happened happened. in the the last debate, Joe Biden said anyone who's presided over 220,000 deaths from COVID shouldn't be eligible to be president. Congratulations, Uncle Uncle Creepy. You've gotten double the number. Yeah, you got into the fours. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Uh, we were calling him Uncle Joe. Or Uncle I like Joe. Uncle Creepy, but oh. you you can call him what you want. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the, <clears throat> there is something that they are coming around to a little bit, a little bit. You're finding it here and there. There, there would have been a time when they would not have had a guest on, much less someone on their payroll, a quote-unquote contributor. That's how you know they're on the payroll. When they ever sit, whenever Fox or CNN says contributor, it means you'll never see them on another cable right. news network. They are paid to only stay here. And you see this now with a couple CNN uh, contributors um, who are now, for example, uh, saying that the cloth mask is useless. So I kind of formulated this trajectory. The CDC just changed their guidance on cloth masks, I believe, in the last 48 hours. That's Again, correct. no major announcement on this. We'll just quietly do this in the cover. I figured- We've always said that cloth masks aren't good. You've got to have an N95 mask, says the CDC now, <laughs> if you rewrite history and change it out. And I believe you think that's doublethink. No, it's right. You're right to do that, Hugh, um, because that's what they're doing. Right. That's Take the, down the data that, that was wrong and making. restate it as if it's always been. And take down the breakthrough deaths as if they never had them up in the first place, Correct. which they used to until October. But this is now the uh, – what do I want to call it? This is now the template to operate from. Um, f- going back to May of 2020, uh, someone like you guys will say something. It will be denounced, if not censored. You give it about a year – an outside contributor to cable news will catch on and say it, and then you give it two months, and then the CDC will adopt it overnight Yep. in quiet of darkness. That really is the way this trajectory and thesis The CDC works. and Kara Christ, when she was the director yes. of the Arizona Department of Health <laughs> Services, right, you know, right, right, right. tweeting out that, oh, I meant to say that yeah. the data was wrong and we took it all down and replaced it, but I'm going to hide that fact from you. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um Lewis, I wanted to – let me give out the phone number for anyone that wants to talk with us, 602-508-0960. But I also wanted you to now take off, if you wouldn't mind, maybe even set the table and we can get into it in the next break. You wanted to talk about experiments. And, oh, absolutely. And what you learned from your favorite experiment. Sure. So if I can just sort of set the table very quickly. Um, we uh, I learned about this from reading uh, Dr. Jordan Peterson's book actually, where, where he, he features this experiment. Um, and uh, I, I forget the names of the researchers that organized it, but it's one of those sort of mid-'70s drug experiments to sort of understand the efficacy of, of narcotics. And it's an experiment that was done with rats. And the reason it's my favorite experiment, Seth, is that it shows, A, that animals are a lot more like us than we care to think and realize, but also that the univariate answers that we provide when we think about addiction and how to deal with addicts on both sides of the aisle really probably need a lot more sort of fundamental reanalysis and understanding. 
and and let's the, pick up on that. Was this known as the Rat Park series? I believe that's right. Yeah, Rat Park came out of Canada, maybe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're talking about the same thing. We'll pick up on that when we come back. I'm Seth Leaves, and he's Hugh Hallman. He's Lewis Hallman, and we're coming to you live from the Guns Etc. Studio six zero two fifty eighty nine sixty. We will be right back. I could speak for an hour about this album, the Graceland album by Paul Simon. People, uh, 1986, I think it was, uh, people were, uh, he, he lost a lot of friends over that album because he broke the boycott. I mean, you remember this, Hugh. There was uh, an agreement among artists not to use South African uh, musicians, not to do use South African studios to protest apartheid. Paul Simon had a different view. He said, let's expose him to the world and give him some jobs. And uh, the community of artists uh, went crazy on him and uh, made him persona non grata until the album went platinum and gold and all these artists became very famous and realizes in his own way some something we can take a little bit of refuge in once in a while. Sometimes the price of being right is appearing to be wrong at the time. And getting shot in the back. Yeah. But I will uh, – to build on that before Lewis goes back to his rat studies, um, <laughs> as 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 – People who understand trade, the important issue we're facing now, and I want to come back to this uh, maybe in the next segment, is how trade is impacted by this COVID craziness and how that's singularly a U.S. problem. But related to that Paul Simon story is those who criticize the fact that U.S. manufacturers might get uh, things manufactured in countries – uh, where uh, there are child labor violations and other things. I always ask the one question, what would that child be doing or what would that woman be doing without that job? Mm-hmm. What is the next best alternative for that person to working for $10? Yeah, it's not the it's job. It's much the worse. That's correct. That, it's, it's exactly job, right. And that P.J. O'Rourke will tell you that all day long, won't yeah. he, Seth? Yeah, he sure will, thanks to you <laughs> teaching me about him. Lewis. Rat Park. Rat Park. So Rat Park uh, is a series of studies that was uh, published in the late 70s uh, by a Canadian psychologist, uh, Bruce K. Alexander. And the reason it's my favorite study is because it reviews a lot of the earlier literature on on drug addiction. So most of the studies establishing the effects of narcotics were done with single rats in kind of solitary, not very nice cages where they just were given cocaine and – we watched to see what happened as the rat became hopelessly addicted to cocaine. Um, and this has a lot of problems with it. So so uh, Alexander designed a, sort of an alternative study where you have lots of rats in one larger setting where they're all together. There are lots of stimulating things to do. Rats are very social animals and they really love play. They're kind of like humans in that regard. Um, And then he introduced cocaine to those rats. And what was interesting about Rat Park, just sort of briefly and in summary, is that the rats in in the very nice environment with lots of other rats, they might try cocaine a little bit, but they wouldn't really become frequent or repeated users. And they they, they wouldn't uh, become addicted in the same way as the isolated rats in what is effectively a little rat prison. And what's what's fascinating about this study is that it suggests that addiction is in many ways and, – and the difference, by the way, in addiction was about an order of magnitude or a tenfold difference in, in whether or not rats would become addicted between the two settings. And the reason that this is so so important is that we have now been in a landscape where we have been 
we humans that are very social animals have been encouraged to isolate ourselves from one another, only call into the office remotely, never go in for meetings, don't go to school, and it has created a profoundly unnatural and inhuman environment for us. And in consequence, overdoses and drug deaths in, in 2020 and 2021 are at record highs. And and we've doubled down, to overuse that overused phrase, on it by imposing these kinds of costs on our youngest mm-hmm. that we no longer are, or for a long period of time, we're not allowing kids to go to school, to congregate, to be social and learn from one another, and with the mask mandates covering a uh, part of the body that kids use to tell uh, emotional state and learn human behavior. Including approval and disapproval, right and wrong. So in just speaking to somebody about the sort of devastation that can occur to a group of people over, say, five years in a war-torn country, Tajikistan, you think about the fact that for two years we have imposed this devastating isolation on the youngest among us and the impact that's going to have on that generation of kids who will not have been educated to the level that their parents were, who have not had socialization introduced to them, and all of the continuous problems that are highly likely to result in addition to what Lewis just pointed out, the drug addiction, the suicides, and the mental illness that are uh, visiting upon us now across our society I think we're going to see significant additional problems within the young people who were raised at a time when they missed kindergarten and other other elements of schooling. And what makes it worse is that this is a self-inflicted wound. You betcha. You betcha. As I, I keep talking about how Winston Churchill and Franklin Roosevelt were discussing what they would name the war they were involved in that later became known as World War II. And Churchill said the unnecessary war because it didn't have to happen. It was preventable. We'll come back with the Hallmans when we come back. 602-508-0960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I'm Hugh Hallman. I've wrested the microphone from Seth uh, only to say thank you to Seth as he took us out. He made mention of the fact that here World War II was the unnecessary war, that that was a discussion between Franklin Delano Roosevelt and Winston Churchill. And ultimately, the pandemic and the way we've handled it has resulted in all kinds of tragedies that also were unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, arguably, although Lewis will argue it, uh, that uh, Neville Chamberlain's effort to appease Germany is what Churchill was pointing to as the unnecessary element of the war. In this instance, we have appeased the left progressives who wanted to shut down the economy, not because there was a great pandemic pending, but because there was someone in the White House that they loathed, and the best way to destroy his success was to destroy his success. That is to say, he had built an economy. Start with the economy, exactly. And he was riding high on an economic wave that uh, was the result of allowing the freedom of individuals to be applied in the economy. States were cutting taxes, Arizona included, uh, and other efforts to deregulate the economy, much the way uh, Ronald Reagan had done in 81, 82, 83. 
And poof, we got this massive resurgence of economic activity. And the best way they could, uh, I think, attack that base was to shut it down. And the way to shut it down was to turn to their corporate media friends and say, it's a pandemic. And listen to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. No, we saw this before. We saw this in 1992. In January or February of 1992, there was no question but that George H.W. Bush would be reelected and in a landslide. But he looked at his watch. He looked at his watch during the debate. That's how we got Bill Clinton. Weirdly, Mario Cuomo was the savior of the Democratic Party. He decided not to run thinking Bush was a shoe-in and Bill Clinton was going to run, planned on losing to Cuomo, planned on Cuomo losing the general, and then he would be there in, what, 1996 to, to be – All correct. Right? But the economy collapsed in 92. So Something else ex- happened in that election. Let's not leave that out. There's Ross a guy Perot. who – Ross yeah, Perot. Okay. But he ex- – but, but, but Ross he Perot got the libertarian side of the Republican he Party. He exploited the economy thing. Yeah. But yeah. the point I'm trying to make is we saw that same exact thing in January and February of 2020. There was no equation in which Donald Trump, given the economic state of the uh, country, was going to lose re-election in January and February of 2020. Exactly and right. And they deliberately, whether you want to say China had a part in it or the, the Democrats locked onto it. I mean, the quiet out part out loud was said by uh, that great political strategist Jane Fonda, who said the left owes a lot of thanks to COVID. You know, right? I mean, this is anyway. Go exactly ahead. Right. You wanted to tee it up. Well, there. not not only that, but. You know, if I may also further the World War II analogy, uh, we spent more in dealing with this pandemic in a single fiscal year than we did through all four years of American involvement in the Second World War across all levels of defense expenditure, not only our own weapons, but the purchase of every British military base in the Western Hemisphere, all of the lend-lease to Russia, all of the lend-lease to China, all of the lend-lease to the UK, all of it, we spent more in one year dealing with COVID. Uh-huh. That's Staggering. Right. Badly. Badly. Badly dealing with COVID. That's an excellent point. And one of the things that I think it's important to point out, Hugh, I think this is what you were talking about. Well, you both were. When you're talking about what we've seen increase, whether we're talking about the 30 percent increase in, in drug uh, overdose deaths. Murder rate. Murder rates, Suicide ideation rose 50 percent. Suicide admissions uh, to the hospitals, to the ED departments, uh, particularly young women saw uh, uh, the, their their rates go up 51 <clears> percent. <throat> you think about this. Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. And. What's interesting is with COVID, average age of death, depending on the state, was about between 77 and 81. The median age, I think, nationwide is about 75 to 78, depending on who you count the data. Okay, and it may have been changed over the months. But right, it effectively effectively hit mostly older people. And, of course, you can add the comorbidities that we all know about now today. Compare this to the 1919 flu pandemic in which the median death age was 28, 50 years younger. Fair point. And compare it to the median death age of drug overdoses. We have done nothing about drug overdoses, which is half the age rate of uh, the average is the half of the COVID average and the age of initiation, half that again. I believe it is the most most common cause of death among uh, men between 25 and 50. It is now. And we did that. Yep. We did that. Well, we didn't do that. Well, you and I didn't. The three of us didn't. We uh, as a society, we Americans is correct. did this that. This society, we have to take responsibility for the fact that the we went from a society that was loathing competence because it was uncivil to a society in which we now have complete incompetence but great civility. It is so nice to listen to President Biden. Oh, wait a minute. He attacked Republicans just a couple of weeks ago. 
the civil guy just uh, got thrown out and did a speech about why Republicans are loathsome in Georgia. Oh, Bill, do you have that clip of Joe Biden? I did, all of this was such a – do you have it? You may not. Do you have the uh, – no. I just like watching his, uh, his 538 approval ratings and tracking it next to Donald Trump's and realizing that all of the, the corporate press's pushing and propagandizing is only worth about two percentage points. Yeah. yeah. Effectively, though, what you've got is we traded competence for incompetence, civility for incivility. And now the folks who wanted that have to live with it. And I suspect more and more people are realizing that perhaps competence was underrated and civility or incivility overrated. Yeah, partly it's that. Um, But the other thing I pointed out, I wonder if you guys would agree with me, when you see and you see glimpses of it here and there and it won't be forever, it'll be glimpses here and there, when you see Chuck Todd say things like, Joe Biden has lost his base and lost his support. Or when you see CBS doing a panel on Sunday and not a single person in their in their averages raises their hand to think Joe Biden is a successful president. When you see them uh, berating Joe Biden temporarily and here and there, it's not because <clears throat> because they're jumping on any kind of bad wagon or, God forbid, they have changed or we have inherited a new world. This is the anger you see. We conservatives are familiar with this. We conservatives know this. This is the outrage you see from the person who let you down on your side, right? This when you're the, the pallbearer. Exactly. So, Go ahead. Well, if, if Joe Biden had sit quietly for his entire term, he might have lived. The issue is he was elected with fundamentally no mandate. He had an even split House, right. an even split Senate, and now he exists in a world where he has to take action, and no one was ready to actually listen to the man do things. Right. We just wanted him to not be Trump. Right. And yet we have the uh, Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate seeking to impose uh, results in in the Congress because of that mandate. Wait a minute. There is no mandate. No mandate. What do you think you were elected to do? Exactly. Nothing. Sit on your hands, please. The Democratic Party is now censuring Kirsten Cinema for not going along with them. And spending a lot of money doing so. My God, the money they're spending on her. I'm Seth. Against we'll, her. Uh, right. Uh, right. I'm Seth. They're the Hallmans. We'll be right back. Are we good? Yeah. <laughs> We're okay, all the Holmans are debating yeah. 1938 history and 1919 no, 1990 history. history. All right. We'll, we'll share it with the audience someday. Not today. We have to close. Let me close on this point, though, on another part we were kind of discussing that's related to it. It's often attributed to Churchill. I, I don't actually think it belongs to him that history is written by the victors, and he had made statements about wanting to write the history. He wrote a lot of history. His book, Marlboro, is probably one of the great, great political science and history books of all time, and of course his memoirs of World War II are great. But the notion that history is written by uh, the victors frightens me, and I'll tell you, it frightens me only just a little bit less than the notion of what is being written about contemporary times, the times we live in. We can talk about the history wars. The history wars have been with us a long time. They have exploded in the last two years for good reason. But I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more worried about what's being done in real time before our very eyes. There aren't enough 
talk radio stations and talk radio shows to handle it. But people are beginning to pick up on this, and they are beginning to act on it. And we find them all the time, even in odd places, right, even in precincts we didn't expect. And so just um, a tip to you guys for being so willing to help out on all this and do the hard work. I mean, when you were bringing in those – what were the what were the dimensions? 11 of by 17. When you were bringing in those 11 by 17, I called them placemats for a while because that's what I was using them for right after a while. I had so many I didn't know what to do with them. We turned them into placemats. But, you know, uh, that's the kind of work that journalists actually used to do. They don't do it now, A, because they don't know how to do it, as Lewis does and as you do. But the other reason is um, they used to – whether they were liberal or conservative – they had the notion that we're going to challenge whoever it is, is that's in power, and it didn't really matter whether they agreed with us or not. Today's journalist class doesn't have that sentiment anymore, and that's why they go along and get along with the censorship ethic and ethos and why they did collude to shut down for a day, all of them, a fellow paper when it became the New York Post, when it was again. Anyway, as we think about the point of who writes history, um, it's more important to think about who's writing about the real-time news in real time before our very eyes. That's why we're here. That's why I thank you both. To y'all, thank you for your help, too. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, class dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.